0: date all our moms out there i haven't got a chance to say that to most of you so i want to wish you a happy mother's day this friday night i also want to call attention to something that we are doing big event on a friday night saturday night and invite people to come and so this is concert night there's something else we do and we kind of worship for us is, is when we come and we sing some of the songs like what we sing like what we've just done and we just kind of camp out and just sing a lot of songs to our savior and and know, that's that's night of worship for us But this coming Friday night is concert night, and that is a lot different than night of worship. That that concert night for us is where we just take songs that are just out there on the radio and and things that that people are going to be familiar with, old songs, new songs, and we just kind of sing and just have a great time doing that. And the reason we do that is because we know that it's an easy way for you to invite somebody to come to Crosspoint with you, and it, it can be a first entry point for them to go, hey, wow, and that same band plays on Sundays when you're inviting me to come to church. And so it's just a great opportunity for you to invite somebody. And yes, we have those tickets, but we're not requiring tickets. Somebody doesn't have to have a ticket to come, but you can get your hands on one of those tickets at the booth that's out here, and you can use that to put in somebody's hand to invite them, and they'll go, oh, it's a ticketed event. It must be good. So that's why we do that. So just want you guys to know how you can be using that, leveraging that, and inviting people to come. Well, today we're going to finish up talking about out of the box that that we've been looking at this whole idea of of how we're all guilty of doing this thing called putting God in a box and so we started this by looking at this idea of unboxing God because see what we do is we take our past experiences and our current understanding and those two things causes us to put God in a box now, the shape of your box, the size of your box, it might be different than somebody else's, but, but we are guilty of doing this, and that, that we do this. And, and here's the thing, what I believe. I, I believe even atheists will take and go, yeah, I've got a box for God. That box is just a non-existent box. Because what? Because that's what they're comfortable with. And it's what we do. We find comfort in whatever box, whatever size, whatever shape, whatever non-existence of it that we want. We go, that's what I'm comfortable with for who God is or who God isn't. And, and, and I think that we all want God. I, I think even an atheist, they go, I, I want God. But what we want is we want God on our terms. That we want God to be what we want God to be. That, that we want to be able to take and, and we want to be able to put God away when we're going, hey, I don't need him and I don't want his input and, and I kind of got this one and I'm going to do it this way. and, and I'm come. So I just need a small little box. I just kind of put God away. I want to kind of carry it with me because I I might run into something that I go, I might need God, and I want to kind of pull that little box out and invite God to come in to that situation. But God doesn't belong in a box. And what we did, we looked from the very beginning when we looked at Adam and Eve, and, and we saw how Satan brought influence in and said, hey, I want you to start thinking of God much smaller than who he actually is, and brought in deceit. And we started to shape up from Adam and Eve who God is and who God isn't. And it is different than who he actually is. Last week, we looked at this idea. And, and this idea was one of these ideas like, oh, wait, 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 what, what, what is that? And it's this idea of disrupted goodness. Goodness that we looked at how Jesus disrupted goodness. We looked at a few things that he disrupted. That that Jesus, when he came and he was on earth and and he was beginning to teach and letting us understand more about who God is, that he disrupted people's view of God. That that, that people had an idea of who God is and how we approach him and how we address him and what we think about. And Jesus completely disrupted that. In fact, when his disciples said, hey, will you teach us how to pray? That, That as he taught them how to pray, he says, pray like this. Our father in heaven. Now the in heaven part didn't, what didn't rock their world. It was this sense of our father. I, I'm supposed to think of God like a father, a, an eternal, a heavenly father. That was a disruption for how people viewed God. He disrupted what people thought about religion. And, and what they thought about religion was, okay, so there's this behavior thing, and I need to behave this way. And when I behave this way, then I can get God's favor. And it's all about behavior and favor. And that's everything that I need to know about religion. And he disrupted that. That the religion had this approach that said, hey, if you want to access God, you got to find a priest and you have to go through a priest to be able to access God. And Jesus disrupted that. He says, no, I'm the high priest. And what I've come to do gives you direct access. And, and he changed people's thoughts about religion. What, what Another thing that he disrupted is he disrupted people's hope in goodness. And we looked at this guy in our Bible that, that's referred to as the rich young ruler. And, and this rich young ruler was a professional do-gooder. That, that everything that he did, everything good and everything right, in fact, that he couldn't even find a commandment that he was not living out to its fullest. And so he comes to Jesus and says, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he ends up walking away with his head bowed, sad as he leaves Jesus because he discovered that his goodness wasn't good enough. And that's what he wanted, was just my goodness to be good enough to get me into heaven. That the only way that you and I, that we're going to get to heaven is because of what Jesus did for us. And Jesus, he didn't suffer and sacrifice his life so that you could be a good person. It's not why he did it. He didn't suffer and sacrifice his life so that you could be, so that I could be a good person. That, that Jesus, he suffered and sacrificed his life so we could be a new person. So we could be new, that we would be a new creation in him. You know, earlier we just got to do some baptisms. And, and when we baptize, that, that one of the things that happens with those baptisms is that when we bury somebody into this water, it's like burying their old sinful self. It's burying the life of who they were before Christ. It's symbolic of that. It doesn't actually do it, but it symbolizes that. And then this coming to a new life, and they're glistening, and they're glowing, they're different, and it represents that this is my life, my new life in Christ, and that's why Jesus suffered and sacrificed His life, is so that you and I, so that we could be a new person in Him. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about find and seek. That we're going to talk about find and seek. I I think that every single one of us in this room has a faith experience. That, That every single one of us in this room that we have faith. If you're watching this online, I think everybody has this faith experiences faith encounter that doesn't mean that everybody is a christ follower that doesn't mean everybody has a relationship with god but everybody has an experience everybody has an encounter everybody has a sense to where they go i know a little bit about faith that, that some of the people that, that they go hey my faith experience my faith encounter it's it's one more of heritage It's one of, hey, there there was somebody as I was growing up, whether it was a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, it was your own parent, whoever it is, that as you're growing up, that they had this belief in God. And this belief in God that they had, they tried to pour into you and show you some things about who God was. And some of those experiences might be really good experiences, and some of those experiences in your life might not be so good. But, but everybody has this experience somehow. That would be a way that somebody has an experience, a faith experience. Another one is just religion. It's a sense of religion that, that, that you know, a lot of people grow up with a drug problem. A lot of people and, and they do, they grow up with this drug problem that, that they look back on their life and they're like, yeah, I remember when I was drugged to church, you know. You didn't want to go, but, but you were drugged to church. You know, they made you show up and you were there and you, know, you got the religion, you got the religious experience and you were there and you didn't really want to be there and it's kind of like punching a clock, okay, I, I went to church, hopefully something good in my life will happen because I went to church. And that's your experience, well, you just go, well, why do I go? Well, that's just what you do, It's religion. And that's what some people's faith experience, their, their faith encounter is. So some people's experience, their faith experience is going, you know what my, what my experience is? Is that the, my experience with faith is that people that have faith judging me for the faith that I don't have. People judging me for my actions, my behavior. They judge me for that tattoo and that place and that shouldn't be there. That they, they judge me for that haircut and you don't wear it like that. And, and your pants, they shouldn't go that low. Yeah, just whatever, they're, they're just judging you. And you go, that's, that's my experience. And, and, and you get to the point where you go, if that's what Christianity is, <laughs> get back. I, I, I don't want it to have anything to do with that. Some people, your faith experience, your faith encounter, it's genuine. That it's this sense of, that, that, that somewhere along the way, you just started believing and trusting what the Bible expresses through all of these writers of who Jesus is. And, and you just started putting your faith, your trust in that. And, and you begin to grow in your understanding that God loves you, that God created you, and he created you with the purpose of knowing you, of having an intimate life with you, and that that's what your encounter, your experience is. See, all of us have a faith encounter. All of us have a faith experience. When when I think of Christianity, I think Christianity is best measured by results. And, and, And I think that Almost everybody that knows about Christianity is measuring it. And they're measuring it by results. But for, for many people, especially those outside of the faith, what they're doing is they're measuring their lives. that They've identified themselves as a Christian and they are measuring the results of faith by Christians. Instead of measuring the results of Christianity by the results found in Scripture. Measuring the results of Christianity based on what Jesus did and what Jesus accomplished. And there are too many of us that believe Christ is our Savior. There's too many of us that we do. We we believe Christ is our Savior. There's too many of us that are giving people outside of the faith a reason to doubt that Jesus can save them, to doubt that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus, at one time, told his disciples something along this line. And what he told them is he said, they will know that you are Christian by your love. Now, he didn't use that phrase because we didn't even have this phrase Christianity until after Christ rose from the dead. And that's a longer story to talk about how we got to that place. But but that's the gist of what he was saying. In fact, we'll look at it together in John chapter 13, verse 35. Jesus was talking to his disciples. He said, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That the way that you love each other, that there should be a measured difference. The way that you love each other. There's this measured difference. What it's going to do is it's going to prove, hey, you are learning from me. You are a student of what it is that I was teaching you. And it has transformed your life. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. Listen, one of the biggest obstacles for people to believe in God is the people of God. And that's sad. That one of the biggest obstacles for people to believe in God is the people of God. Because they're looking at our lives and they're going, I don't see much of a difference between you and your life and me and mine. I don't know why... You think I need Jesus because I'm kind of happy and content with the way things are. And they do. They take a, an inventory and they take a look. And as they take a look and they look at their home life, going, I, I don't see much of a difference. They look at their work life, they look at their family life, they look at their life, and they just take this inventory and they go, hey, my friends, and you're my friend, and we hang, you know, they even look at their morality and they're like, I just don't see much of a difference. And so it's the people of God that tend to be one of these big obstacles for people outside of the faith to believe in Jesus. I, I, I think that there is this contentment in the world and this contentment in the world is that the world has come very content in trying to understand, is there a difference? Is there a need? Should I, do I need to bother? And, and they become very content with taking people that are very immature in their faith, very immature Christians, and comparing them to people who aren't Christians. And when you look at that comparison, it's easy to go, yeah, there's not much of a difference, if any. I'm, I'm not sure that I, I need what it is you're telling me about. Because their comfort level is looking at those with a very immature faith. So there's a problem with immature faith. There's a problem with what immature faith measures. And it's not a problem to have an immature faith if you're brand new to the faith. Because that's where we start. You just shouldn't stay there. That we need to grow in our faith faith but let's just take a look at an immature faith measures because it measures some things that an immature faith that measures god's value it does it measures his value by how useful he is that's what an immature faith does well god i'm, I'm going to determine how how useful you are by by, by how valuable you are by how how useful you are to me that an immature faith it measures the bible's value by how useful it is that an immature faith it, it measures it measures how useful prayer is the, the, the value of prayer it measures prayer's value by its usefulness it measures church's value by its usefulness it even measures morality it comes along and says, I'm going to measure morality's value by how useful it is. That, that's what an immature faith does. That an immature faith does, does this. I, God, I, I'm, I'm going to believe in God until. God, I'm, I'm going to believe in you until you try to knock me off my path to happiness. As, as long, God, as long as you let me stay on my path to happiness, I'm going to believe in you. what we do when we have this immature faith is, hey, I I believe in the Bible. and I'm going to use this Bible as as long as the Bible keeps showing me how I can have a happy life and and that I can do these things. But as soon as this Bible, as soon as I start looking at it and it starts telling me things that I don't agree with, it's lost its usefulness. That's what an immature faith, I don't need that anymore. In immature faith, it, it measures the value of prayer. Same way. I, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray to God until I see that God stops answering the, 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 the prayers of, of me sharing the desires of my heart. Now, these are the things I want, God. And when I, start see, when I stop seeing God answering those prayers, it's just not useful to pray anymore. I, 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 don't, I don't need prayer. Church. Yeah, I'll go to church, and as long as I can go to church, I can kind of meet some friends, I can kind of hang out, and they give me a free concert every Sunday morning. I love that. But as soon as that pastor starts saying things that I don't like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't need church, it's just not useful to me anymore. That immature faith, it, it measures morality, this, this behavior thing of being, being good. And when I'm being good, and as long as I'm being good, and it helps move me closer to being more happy in life, I'm good with that. But as soon as it stops helping me to be more happy in life, then I don't know that I have a use for that. And that that's what we deal with, that this is what we struggle with. And we want to look at this and go, hey, you know what, God, as long as I'm good, you're, you're going to do some things for me, right? Because it's, it's what we do that we go, hey, with an immature faith, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to seek God. With an immature faith, I'm, I'm going to read the Bible. With an immature faith, I'm, I'm, even, I'm going to approach God in prayer with an immature faith. I'm going to attend church. With an immature faith, I'm going to behave. I, I'm going to be good. And I, the reason I'm doing those is, is, is because I get to this place in life where I go, I need something. God, I, I, I need something from you. And when we get to this place where we go, I need something from you, that we seek God because I need something. We, we start reading the Bible because, because we need something. We start praying, God, I, I, I need something. We, we attend church because we need something. I'm going to start behaving because I need something. And what we do is we let this idea creep back up into our lives. And this, this idea creeps back up. And what we do is we become convinced all over again. As long as I behave, I can get God's favor. That, that I, I'm not having some of these good things in life happening right now. So God must not be happy with me right now. So I, I need to behave. And so, so we behave. We kind of put on a show. We're kind of like, did you catch that, God? Okay, well, hold on. Watch, watch, watch again. I'm going to do it again. Because I'm, I'm behaving, right? So, so now, give me, give me. And we get right back to this thing. That we go, as long as I'm good, God, I I can get your favor, right? Wrong. That there's nothing we can do to earn or to deserve God's favor. It's grace. What he just freely gives it to us. That he does this as a gift to us. But yet we live in a time where there's this thing out there, I I call it, Consumer Christianity. And it's consumer Christianity is this, this gimme, 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 gimme. God, God, do for me, do for me, do for me. Consumer Christianity is all about me. And consumer Christianity is convinced God exists to help me. That God exists to help me. Now there is some truth to the fact that God helps us. There, there is absolute truth to that. But it is not the purpose of His existence. He does not exist so that we can get help from Him. Got a target here. And I think that we all have a target with our life. We we all have something that we're aiming for. And in this lifetime, there is this magnetic pull to us to make the target of our life a happy life. And that we go, that, that's my target. That, that's what I'm going to move toward. I, I want a happy life. And so the things that we do, the choices that we make, we do this thinking that's going to make me happier. I, I've, I've got a buddy that's going to help me out this morning. Introduce you guys to Ryan. Everybody say hi, Ryan. Hi, Ryan. So here's Ryan. And, and, and Ryan, Ryan wants a happy life. And because he wants a happy life, you know what Ryan's going to try? Ryan's going to try morality. He's going to go, you know, I, I'm going I'm to do some behavior things. I'm going to make some good choices because I, I believe that maybe that's the thing that's going to make me happier and get me closer to this target with my life, that I want a happy life. That Ryan, he's going to, he's going to even go to church sometimes. Because, you know, if I go to church, if I go to church enough, i got to find that balance. I don't want to overdo it, you know what I mean? Uh, If I go to church enough, then that can help move me closer to my happy life. In fact, there's times that that Ryan, he even prays. And he prays about those things that are going to make him happy. Because he's pursuing this happy life. And he's praying because he's going, hey, these prayers should help get me closer to my happy life. He'll even take time and read his Bible on his own. Thinking, hey, if I'm reading that... That should help me get closer to a happy life. And Ryan, Ryan goes, hey, and the more time I just hang out with God, the more time I just have God time, me and God time, that that's going to keep moving me closer to my happy life. And as long as that's working, he'll keep it up. Because, see, it's the value that he looks and he goes, I want a happy life. And because I want a happy life, I'm willing to do these things and try these things if they can move me closer to my target for my happy life. Than an immature faith that makes God's existence all about me, that, that it is, it, it's all about me. In fact, we even have adopted a happy life verse. We've got a, a happy life scripture verse. And, and, and there are people that they don't even believe in Jesus. They don't believe that he's the savior of the world. But yet they take this New Testament verse and they're like going, that's my, that's my verse. That, that, that you can see it, 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 this verse, it's, it's in so many different places. That you can see it stitched on a uniform. You can see it written with a sharpie inside of, a, of an athletic hat. You, you, you can see it on, on a necklace of, of a pop star. You, you can see this, it, it's just all over the place. You can see it where a teenager would have it on a letter jacket. That is our happy life verse. And that happy life verse is found in Philippians chapter 4, Verse 13. And it is, and and you've got people that that they're just not even convinced that Jesus, who the Bible claims that he is, but they're going, but that's my verse. And and, and what is this verse? It's, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And it's it's our verse. I I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And you know what my everything is? A happy life. And so I, I can keep moving closer and closer to my happy life. Through Christ, who gives me strength. Because (laughs) Jesus wants to be happy, right? We get people that become convinced of this. And they just have their happy life verse. And they pull this completely out of context of what Paul who wrote this, of what he meant when he was sharing this. And yes, God does help people. But it's not the purpose of his existence that God doesn't exist to deliver you to your happy life. That's not why he exists. He's not going, hey, I'm here to serve whatever you need. You can get to your happy life. It's not. So let's look in context and let's see what's going on here. I think that some of the things that, that make us happy break God's heart and it's one of the reasons I'm convinced that that God's not there to just dispense whatever it is that's going to make our lives happy so as Paul and he gives us and he paints this whole picture we're going to back up to verse 11 he said I have learned how to be content with whatever I have I I, I don't need any more I have learned to be content with whatever I have. Then he unpacks it. He says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. And I have learned the, the secret. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. And so what is what's that secret? The secret was this. I can do everything. That's the secret. I can do everything. What? Through Christ who gives me strength. Listen, there's a parenthetical thought that I want to give you in order for you to help make more sense of Philippians 4.13. And the parenthetical thought, it goes like this. For I can do everything. Here's the parenthetical thought right here that matters to God. I can do everything. That matters to God through Christ who gives me strength. I can do everything that matters to God through Christ who gives me strength. Our Bible doesn't paint this picture that God is just an advisor. It doesn't paint this picture that, that God's just a coach. It doesn't paint a picture that God's just a boss. It doesn't paint a picture that God's just a therapist. That Instead, what our Bible does is it reveals something about God. And what it reveals about God is it reveals that God is a king, that that's who God is. And not only is he a king, it reveals something else. That he is the king of kings. He is the king of kings. And when you understand what that means, the king of kings, that this is something that indicates somebody's power. And it indicates where they have authority. It indicates that they have power over their realm. And we're not going to look at it, but if you want to be an overachiever and and you want to look it up later, you can look up Colossians 3.16. Because in Colossians 3.16, we find out Jesus' realm. And his realm is that he's the active agent in all of creation, that Jesus is the creator, and he's the king of kings over his realm, and his realm is all of creation. That's who he is when we look in the book of Revelation, that that we can find Jesus having this title. We we find it in two different places. We find it in Revelation chapter 17, verse 14. He is Lord of all lords and King of all kings. We move forward two chapters, and it just kind of reverses it. He's In Revelation chapter 19, verse 16. On his robe at his thigh was written this title. King of all kings and Lord of all He's king. That's who he is. And he's not just a king. He is the king of kings, all kings. And Jesus, while he was here on earth, he began to teach us something about what we need to do with our life because he knows that, that we all have a target. He, he knows that, that like Ryan, that, that sometimes what we do is we just kind of overshoot our happiness target. Whoa, missed that one. Thought that was what was going to bring me happiness. Thought that was going to last. Oh, man, that's, that brought a lot more heartache than happiness. We overshoot it. And Jesus, Jesus, he, he knew that, yes, we need to have a target, but our target that we're pursuing in life, should not be a happy life. That's not the best target. So let's look at what he said in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He said, seek the kingdom of God above all else, above anything else that you would do. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. It's a fancy way of saying, live doing the right things. And live righteously. And he will give you everything that you will, w- 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 no, not want. <laughs> he will give you everything that you need. Seek first the kingdom of God. He didn't say, seek first to live righteously. He didn't say, seek first to live being a professional do-gooder. no. Nope. <laughs> Seek first the kingdom of God above all things. Now that you're doing that, now choose to live righteously. Now choose to do the right thing. And then we get a look and we get to see, and he will give you everything that you need. See, when, when we make our target the, the happy life, th- there are two things I can guarantee you that you will experience if you make the happy life your target of what it is that you pursue. Two things, guarantee them. One, you will invite more stress into your life. Second thing, you will add more worry. Those are the two things that you invite in when you go, I'm making my life's pursuit about a happy life. And Jesus knows it's not in our best interest. So seek First, the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and then he will give you everything that you need. Once you find God, seek God. Once you find God, seek God. And you might be thinking, that seems a little backwards, Will. Don't you mean once you seek God, you will find God? I mean, once you find God, seek God. Once you find him, keep seeking to know him. Keep seeking to spend time with him. Seek the heart of God. Once you find him, seek him. God revealed to a prophet, Jeremiah, in the Old Testament. Jeremiah records this in Jeremiah 29, verse 13. And so God was saying this, Jeremiah recorded it. If you look for me wholeheartedly, That's the qualifier. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. When are we going to find God? We're going to find God when we look wholeheartedly for him, seeking him above all else. That's when we find him. And once you find God, seek him. As long as you seek God, you're going to find holiness that leads to a contentment that you never knew was possible. A good way to think about it is this, is when you find and seek God's holiness. When you find it and you seek God's holiness, you will seek and find your wholeness. you find and seek his holiness, you will seek and find your wholeness of who it is that God has created you to be. We've got to let God out of the box. We've got to let him out of the box that, that we have confined him to in our own mind and in our own heart and see him bigger and better than we ever have. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, what a a joy and a privilege for us to refer to you as that. That you are the Heavenly Father. God, and I pray that that for everybody who has found you, I I pray that that there would be a, a desire to seek you and to know you even more. God, I pray that for those that might be here, might be outside of the faith. God, I pray that, that they would seek and they would find. But once they find, that they would return back to seeking to know you. And know you in a way that is greater than what they